Hello, and welcome to Movie Culture. Today, we are talking about Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3 was released in 2010 and is Pixar's 11th feature film. The movie was directed by Lee Uncrick. If it's been a minute since you've seen the movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we'll put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip on to the discussion. Andy is now 17 years old and is packing up his room before heading off to college, while Woody, Buzz, and the gang have collected dust. Andy decides to bring Woody to college, but intends to place the rest into storage. But the bags get mixed up, and all the toys end up donated to Sunnyside Daycare. There, the toys are welcomed by lots of hugging bear, and the toys are excited to be played with again. Woody, upset that the rest of the toys don't want to remain with Andy, leaves with the preschooler, Bonnie. The rest of the toys find that toddlers aren't so gentle and endure a rough playtime. Woody hears from Bonnie's toys that Lotso was forgotten and replaced by his old kid and has turned Sunnyside into a toy prison. Woody returns to save his friends and very nearly succeeds before being caught by Lotso and falling into the dumpster. At the landfill, the toys find themselves inching towards an incinerator and confront their inevitable death as a group before being saved by the Pizza Planet aliens and their deus ex machina claw. Woody and the toys return to Andy, who, after a note from Woody, donates them to Bonnie, who will continue playing with the toys for another generation. So, Josh, what did you think? I really like this one. I'm really excited about it. I thought it was really fun. I think it takes place in the timeline right after Wally and Up, which is when Pixar starts getting taken a little bit more seriously, at least critically. They're no longer just the makers of really good kids' movies, they make really good movies. So I think Toy Story 3 was given more critical acclaim when it came out. I remember people really loving this movie. And it's a really, really good movie. I think there are some things that I'm interested in talking about, about what this movie really means and how that is a little bit different than some other movies. But the Pixar machine is in full force. And I think the pacing of this movie, the characters, the plot, the emotional stakes, it's just all really good. I really, really enjoyed it. I had a great time watching. What about you? What'd you think? Yeah, I agree that Wally and Up were a shift for Pixar. I think people saw that and they were like, oh, maybe this this movie about an old man's grief. Maybe this is not a kid's movie. At least publicly, yes. there was a shift. The real heads knew the whole time. Yeah. Us as uh, basically children, we were like, let me tell you about <laughs> Pixar. But I also really liked this one. I had uh, lowered my expectations a little bit after Toy Story 2, but... I liked this so much more than Toy Story 2. I really enjoyed this. So what specifically did you like about it? This movie's funny. Yeah. It's really funny. And I think the first Toy Story movie was also very funny in a Mm -hmm. slightly different way. Toy Story 1 relied much more on puns. And you still get a few puns. But in Toy Story 3, we've now spent two movies with these characters. We know them. So you get a lot of humor of them playing off of each other the same way that you do in sitcoms when you've been with characters for so long 
Oh, yeah. You know how a character is going to react before they do. And so it's very satisfying to see them react in a certain way. I mean, you know that Buzz is going to be over the top and trying to save the day all the time. You know that Mr. Potato Head is just going to be the worst. Ugh. And I also think that the female characters are given a lot more respect Mm -hmm. than they were in Toy Story 2. I mean, specifically in Barbie, we meet Ken in this movie and then Barbie and Ken have this little romance that's very funny. And, And here, the joke is that Barbie and Ken are silly toys. The Barbie franchise is in itself silly rather than in Toy Story 2 where the joke is men ogling women at a pool party. Yeah, it's a very different joke. Yeah, and and also Barbie actually gets to be involved in the action in this movie. She mm-hmm. has agency. At one point, she gets to play up the damsel in distress act to save the day. As part of the toy's larger plan, she does that to trick Ken because the expectation is that Barbie can't do anything and is just interested in clothes but instead she's using that as a distraction and helps the toys escape yeah and then at the end of the escape sequence she's even given this line about governance which i kind of just want to put in because what a good moment for barbie oh so good jesse's right authority should derive from the consent of the governed not from the threat of force if that's what you want And all of this is possible because we know the characters so well. One other thing I really appreciate about our connection with these characters is it really deepens the emotional resonance of certain moments in the movie because we have connections to the characters and understand not only what they do that makes us laugh, but also some of the internal struggles that they go through and some of the needs and wants that they have that are carried over from other movies. The one that stands out most to me is Jessie's character. I really love Jessie's character. I think she's the best part of Toy Story 2, and I really liked her in this movie. Part of the reason why is because her arc in Toy Story 2 is all about the anxiety of going back into storage and claustrophobia. And in a way, that gets played for a joke. How funny about a toy not wanting to be in a toy chest or in a box. But the stakes of this movie, at least in the beginning, are about if the toys are going to get thrown out or if they're going to get put in the attic. And the attic is seen as the better solution. But we understand, and we understand because Woody brings it up to Jesse, that going into the attic isn't necessarily good for her, that she has some nervousness about that. She has some past trauma. Yeah. And we understand that and we see that in the movie. And as the movie progresses, we can see the struggle for her about feeling like this is a lose-lose situation. She has to confront her fear and accept that she has to be put back in a place that she isn't comfortable with in order to survive. That's something that we can get because we are now in the third version of this movie and we understand these characters better. Woody is always looking out for the other toys. And when he goes back for them, that makes it much more emotionally resonant for the audience because we understand Woody and we've spent so much time with him. That's true for Jesse also. And it's true for the other toys too. And honestly, I was just pretty surprised by how much emotional resonance these toys had with me because of the time we've spent together. Yeah. And I think that, of course, things have to happen for plot reasons. There needs to be actions to drive the plot so that we have something to watch. But the difference between 
watching Toy Story 3 and watching Toy Story 1 is that, like you're saying, we buy into everything that the characters do. It makes sense. And so we feel more invested. It feels more real to us. When Woody is going to save his friends, we're not like, oh, Woody's saving his friends because that's the plot of this movie. We're like, Woody's saving his friends because that's the type of toy he is. Yeah. And when Mr. Potato Head is not believing Woody and causing conflict, we're like, classic Potato Head, why are you like this? Yeah. Like, why you always got to be second guessing, Potato Head? What you doing? Yeah, but they really feel real to us. And I think that that speaks to the consistency Mm -hmm. of what this series has built. If I can connect it to the premier film series of our time, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In Marvel movies, people change characters on a dime pretty much every movie. For plot reasons. For plot Mm -hmm. reasons. The example I think is most evident is Black Widow having romances with like whoever she needs to for the sake of that movie. Uh, The treatment of Black Widow is a whole other podcast. (laughs) It is literally a podcast that we will probably do when the Black Widow so, when the Black Widow uh, movie comes out. But those characters have arcs for each specific movie, and sometimes those arcs are very good. But we don't really see, with a few exceptions, but we don't really see one sustained character that continues to get deeper and more nuanced, and that we understand fully over the years. Sorry, Marvel. Like Toy Story does this much better. I will be interested to see if other Pixar series do this quite so well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Toy Story 3 is in the Toy Story series. And up until this point, Pixar has only done standalone movies. But we're going to be watching Cars 2 coming up and then Cars 3 and Monsters University. Incredibles 2. Incredibles 2. There are so many more. And I wonder how that's going to change how we think about these movies. Yeah, I agree. One other thing I also really liked, based on the characters, is that a bunch of them end up in relationships. The romances. There are a lot of romances. Of course, there's the Potato Heads. And, you know, they seem good together, even (sighs) though... Mrs. Potato Head deserves better. I was just about to say that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Justice for Miss Potato Head. I will defend my previous take that Mr. Potato Head slash now just Potato Head is a good toy to buy in real life. However, Potato Head of Toy Story canon is terrible. Yeah. Honestly, when Mr. Potato Head turned into Mr. Tortilla Head and then got into a fight with a pigeon and the pigeon almost ate him. It's the best thing he's ever done. Oh, I was (laughs) pro-pigeon. Eat that shitty toy. We see an actual potato at some point in the movie and I was hoping that he was going to put his stuff into a real potato. I thought that'd be funny. They didn't do it. Missed opportunity, Pixar. You blew it. (laughs) But I really did like the romances. We talked about Barbie and Ken a little bit. I liked the Easter egg with Trixie and Rex, the dinosaurs, because at some point we see that Trixie is IMing with a dinosaur who lives right down the street. And I think, if I remember correctly, in a previous Toy Story movie, Rex had done the same thing. And we realize that they are the same, that they've been messaging each other. That's so cute. I thought that was super cute. They play video games at the end. They're great. Also, the Buzz and Jesse romance is really, really sweet. That surprised me because I did not like that at the end of Toy Story 2. It felt kind of weird. It was gross. And that's because Toy Story 2 is all about how women should be 
subservient to men. Yeah, I mean, that's not too off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this time, it's a really emotional relationship that has a lot of resonance. None more so than near the end of the movie, as the toys are in the incinerator, moving downhill towards the fire, they accept their inevitable death. At some point, they stop struggling to get out, and they look at each other and they start reaching out and holding hands, understanding that they will meet this end together. And Jesse and Buzz are the first toys to join hands. And to me, that that was more than a relationship that had been used as jokes, mm-hmm. which it is for the rest of the movie, and that's really fun. But it also shows, in a way, a romantic partnership that exceeds any other relationship, even that between Buzz and Woody, is the relationship between Jesse and Buzz, that they are the ones who reach out to each other first and think, as we reach this end, this is the relationship I want to be holding on to, which is devastating, but also says so much about how much we know about these characters, how much we care for these characters, and how tenderly these characters are treated. Yeah. Also, at the end of the movie, when the toys still believe they're going into the attic, when Woody says goodbye to Jesse, he says, are you sure you're going to be okay in the attic? And she says, yeah, I'll be I'll be okay. And also, I know about Buzz's Spanish mode. And that's like a joke about how she thinks Buzz's Spanish mode is hot. But I think it's also worth pointing out that, like you were saying, her big fear throughout the movie is ending up forgotten and left behind and she's afraid of this attic Mm -hmm. so for her to to say it's okay because i'm with buzz it's worth something it's honestly beautiful i really really (laughs) loved it is this the best romance in a pixar movie i mean she doesn't die yes so i the bar is not high but yes i i think the answer is yes i mean her main competition aside from carl and ellie and ellie dies 10 minutes in in up her main competition is what Lightning McQueen and Sally the Porsche (laughs) and Robot 1 and Robot 2. (laughs) I'm calling it. I think this is the best romance in a Pixar movie. I really loved it. Oh, my God. I'm so sappy. Okay, let's (laughs) move on before I... I We got to keep going. You're OTP. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, speaking of the moment where they grab hands and accept their inevitable death. Such high stakes. They accept their inevitable death? I know. In a so-called kids movie? That's, uh-huh. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. wild. But this movie raises stakes so well. It really does. I mean, the movie starts with the stakes of Andy potentially getting rid of these toys. And that is the high stakes of the second movie is Woody being separated from Andy. Mm-hmm. And then the toys are being taken to daycare and they're in a situation where they're being... I mean, kind of abused by these toddlers that don't know how to play with them. And then the toys try to get away from these toddlers and they realize that they're trapped in what is essentially a high stakes prison run by Lotso the Bear. Mm -hmm. Relatable. (laughs) They have this really, truly epic prison break sequence that is a ton of fun to watch. But the stakes are really high. I mean, this is a a prison break movie all of a sudden. And then we get to the stakes of the trash. So 
they are trying to escape. Lotso prevents them from escaping, and they think that they can get past him, but at the last second, he drags Woody into the trash, and then all of the toys are thrown into the garbage truck and then taken to the dump. So at this point, going to the dump seems like the highest possible stakes, and then the stakes get even higher because Mm -hmm. they are moved down the trash conveyor belt and they fall into the incinerator. Mm -hmm. They're just going to be burned alive and they accept their fate. Yeah, it goes from being forgotten about to being abused to being imprisoned to being lost forever to death in a pretty seamless, again, children's movie. (laughs) And also, I think the fact that they accept their fate really drives it home Mm -hmm. because the whole time they're still trying to escape from their situation. And you know that they're going to escape because these are smart toys and they always get out of these situations. Yeah. But when they give up and there was really, as the audience, we don't see any possible way for them to escape this. Mm -hmm. And you really do watch it and (laughs) you don't know what's going to happen. And you think that the only possible outcome is for them to be burned. And because this is an hour and a half in to the third movie in a trilogy, in what we at least think is a trilogy, they have no more plot armor. If this was 20 minutes into the movie, then we know that nothing's happening to these toys. But because of where it is, their death is a reasonable thing for the audience to believe might happen. It's a realistic possibility. So we feel the full weight of these stakes because we don't know if they're going to make it out alive. I mean, can you imagine, though, if Pixar was just like, the end, enjoy the movie, kids? Yes and no. I can imagine it fading to black and then the toys in some sort of toy heaven. I can't imagine it ending in their, you know, screams of anguish. (laughs) It just fades to black and they're like, never throw your toys away. Always donate. Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of, this movie does kind of have a lot to say about trash and Mm. plastic. Lotso's really into this whole shaming the plastic toys for being made of plastic and saying to Woody, you're made of plastic. You were made to be thrown away. Oh, I totally missed that. That's a really good, that's a really good catch. I'm pretty sure he says that basically two times. Like he says that a second time. We're all just trash waiting to be thrown away. That's all a toy is. Mm-hmm. And I I appreciated that this movie did really seem to have a strong push for donating and giving your things a second life. And that aged really well for them. This movie definitely preaches reuse, recycle instead of throw away. Less on the reduce side. Definitely get as many toys as possible. Spend as much money on these specific licensed Disney-owned toys. <laughs> but then donate them so they can have a second life. I also think because the final sequence at the dump is so sinister and so dark, even before we get into the incinerator, we see this giant field of garbage that stretches on as far as the horizon. I think the movie is really upset about these landfills. I think so, too. And and we obviously know that that's something that they were thinking about at Pixar. Mm-hmm. We've seen Wally. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. So I I thought that was well done. I appreciated that. 
So that's a whole lot of gushing. Uh, is there anything else? Well, I want to bring back our recurring segment, Car Crash Watch! <laughs> In Toy Story 3, there is not a car crash. Am Ooh. I correct? Yeah, I don't think there was. And I don't think there was an up either. In up, there was a house that knocks into a car. And also, I think a car that crashes into a mailbox. But there's no car on car collision. A car crash isn't used as shorthand for chaos. And we don't have violence played for that purpose. And that doesn't happen in Up and that doesn't happen in Toy Story 3. You know what they call two in a row? That's a winning streak, baby. (laughs) Oh, good job, Pixar. Good job, Pixar. No car crashes. We will return with Car Crash Watch next time in Cars 2, where I am confident that there (laughs) will be a car crash. Anyway, Tay, what about you? Is there anything that maybe push your buttons a little bit? No car crashes, so that's good. Um, Mm -hmm. Light sexism, not outrageous sexism, so I guess that is also good. I didn't love that they make fun of Ken for being a girl's toy and liking girly things like clothes and hearts and having good handwriting. Also, just that Lotso has the most typical villain origin story of being abandoned by a girl and just holding on to that bitterness and how that turns him evil. Although I think it's a good thing to note that if you listen to the news and you hear someone say, oh, I did these terrible things or I want to do these terrible things because a woman wouldn't be with me, mm-hmm. that's that's literally the Toy Story 3 villain arc. Like, that's not a reasonable thing for a real person to say. It's literally the villain story in this movie. Also, I don't know, this isn't necessarily a dislike, but I do feel like we have to talk about it, and I'm curious about what you think. So, I did not ever realize this until I was doing some research for this podcast, mm-hmm. falling down the uh, the wiki Pixar rabbit hole. Okay, what is this? So as you know, there's a lot of fan theories surrounding the Pixarverse, mm-hmm. most of which are too wild to get into. I am so excited for our bonus podcast about the Pixar <laughs> apocalypse theory. Oh, boy. But this one I found on there is actually not a fan theory. This appears to be a very real in-universe, in-canon Easter egg, if you will. Sid is in this movie. Where is Sid in this movie? Sid is the garbage man that we see picking up the trash. How do we know it's him, though? Apparently, he's wearing the same skull t-shirt, and he is voiced by the same actor, which makes me feel like it it was obviously intentional. Okay, so that's definitely Sid. I don't know how it's voiced by the same actor. I don't think he has any lines. He's kind of like humming and and bopping to himself. (laughs) So they brought on the same actor just to do that, which which does make it game. seem like like they were trying to say this is Sid, which means that Sid, who we know and love as our genius artist, Pro Sid Podcast from Toy Story One, grown up to be a garbage man. That is steady, good work, well paying, good for Sid. Hold on. I'm sorry, you're about to put a butt in the in here. Sid at 17 years old, because 
That's how old he is. Sid's not 17. Sid was older than Andy. Okay, Sid at 19 has a very steady, very reliable government paycheck that is very well paying. Sanitation workers get paid a bunch. They do. This is really the ideal outcome for Sid. He's making $80,000 a year in 2010 without a college degree. Sid is recession-proof. Sanitation budgets never get cut. He gets to hang on to that job for the next 40 years. He's going to retire mad rich. And also, he gets to do art in his free time. And he doesn't have to go through this, like, no-college degree starving artist trying to figure out what to do with, like, his weird modern art sculptures, which... (laughs) By the way, much like Wally, he gets to collect things as he's on much the job. Like Wally. He seems like he's listening to good music, he's happy, and we know he's getting paid. Okay, you've convinced me. Sid is doing better than Andy is. Honestly, I felt like Sid would have like some kind of engineering degree. You know, maybe he's working towards that. One thing that I think is really interesting is we saw in Toy Story 1 that Sid has a lot of potential. And also... With all this potential and with this engineering potential, as you're saying, Sid also has an extremely vivid imagination that comes from being the only person who knows that toys are sentient. I think it makes sense that we would want Sid to have high success in that field, to be a very successful or at least traditionally successful engineer or artist or to see him follow his passions. But it's really hard to fall into some of those paths, and it's really rare, and it takes an incredible amount of luck. I think we can look at Sid and understand that you should be judged on your actions and the path you're taking as opposed to the outcome, because sometimes the outcome doesn't look the way that we would necessarily want it to look. But that doesn't take away from the effort that he had put in or the creativity he has, or the initiative he has, or the curiosity he has. This is, again, a very pro-SID podcast. (laughs) The internet's foremost pro-SID podcast. Sometimes you can have all this potential and it doesn't work out for you, especially post-2008 recession. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to teach kids that you can be happy in a position that isn't necessarily the one that you expected to get. Success is not what your job title is. It has so much more than that. And who you are is so much more than your job. So we could see Sid as a sanitation worker and think that is someone who has not lived up to his potential. Or we could see Sid as a sanitation worker and say that is someone with immense potential and with all these great qualities who also has an unrelated, respectable job. There are other people just like Sid who got those opportunities and also other people like him who don't get those opportunities. And it's important to remember that sometimes you don't get the opportunities that you are qualified for. Maybe Sid is a true genius, as we're building him up to be. But maybe his family can't afford to send him to college. Maybe Mm -hmm. he couldn't get a scholarship. Maybe he didn't get accepted in the college application crapshoot. Maybe Maybe he wasn't interested in going in the first place. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's so many other paths that are totally acceptable for people to take. And as we can see, lead him to at least some sort of satisfaction and happiness. Josh, I love that. You're so right. I'm happy for Sid. I'm glad that he's happy. But in my head, he's still practicing art on the side and doing all these gallery shows and making these really weird upcycled sculptures out of his garbage finds. 
I want the Sid movie. I know. We deserve a Sid movie. We want Sid. <laughs> Hashtag Sid movie 2021. Let's make Follow, it happen. <laughs> yeah, make it happen. Okay, so that is a whole lot of thoughts. What about theme? Did the movie come together as a theme for you? You know, I think it did, but it's a little tricky. In the first Pixar movie, the explicit wants and needs of the characters are to be special and to hold on to what makes them unique in the wake of their association with a child. The second movie is all about heritage. Where do we come from? This third movie, as much as culturally we think about it as, you know, a kid going to college, what happens with toys when you go to college, I think that explicitly it's much more of a movie about toys. The toys stand in much less easily for people than they do in the first two movies. I think they still do. And there are some themes that I took away. I think there are for you also. But I do want to stick on this point for a moment first. In Toy Story 3, the explicitly stated want of the characters at the beginning of the movie is to be played with, not to be remembered, not to have a community, but to be played with. That's what we see right at the beginning. And Tay, you've talked about before how sometimes you can see the theme of a movie in the first scene and the last scene. In the last scene of this movie, they have been given off to another child and they are again being played with. So even through all these dramatic stakes, the toys start wanting to be played with and at the end they are played with, which is a very toy-centric arc. Yes, there is something resonant about activity and excitement and wanting to be and wanting to play, especially at a COVID time, the joy, the uncomplicated joy of play is a valuable one, but it is a less resonant theme for adult viewers. What do you think about that? I agree with you on the theme not feeling as strong in this movie. I do think that there is more to it than just play. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like, like you're saying, the theme is really only present in a few scenes. Really, the early scenes where the, the toys are wanting to play and then the final scenes where they're with Bonnie now mm -hmm. and then a few interspersed throughout the movie. That theme, if we're tracking with the idea of parenting that was so strong in the first movie specifically, mm -hmm. Obviously, there is this parenting theme of kids growing up and, and letting your kid go off into the world and learning to let go. And I think that at its core, the theme of this movie is, you know, if you love something, set it free. Mm -hmm. We see that Woody has to learn to do that with Andy, that Woody has to understand that his relationship with Andy has changed. And he doesn't need him in the way that he used to. Mm. And so Woody now, even though he still loves Andy and Andy still loves him, Woody must move on. Yeah. And we also see that from Andy's point of view, because Andy recognizes at the end of the movie that Woody meant so much to him growing up, but Woody can't serve the same purpose for him as an adult. And even though he loves those memories and even though he, part of him, I think, wishes that he could hold on to that past, he can't hold on to the past. And he needs to let that go in order to give someone else the joy of getting to play with Woody and the rest of the toys. Yeah, that's a really beautiful theme. We even see that with Lotso because he's kind of 
the dark side of what happens when you aren't able to let go. Lotso is trying so hard to hold on to the past and is so bitter that he can't go back to that, that he's not able to move forward into the future. That's a very toxic place for him to be in. And it's a place that causes him and a lot of other people pain. But I think because the core of that theme is really in the relationship between Andy and Woody, we don't see it play out so much throughout the movie. That's kind of what I'm saying. That that theme about letting go, like letting a child go, and there's a little bit about grief in there, but mostly I think the movie stays pretty light and makes it about sending a kid to college. And of course, this movie comes out you know, something like 16 years after the first Pixar movie, the kids who saw Toy Story as a young child are now off to college. I do think that it resonates in those moments with Andy. But the reason that the theme was limited for me, or at least didn't live up to my expectations for that theme, is because so much of the movie, the jailbreak sequence, the the entirety at the preschool, the going back and forth to save your friends. None of that has to do with letting go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It feels, it's really fun to watch. It's really good. It -hmm. does feel unrelated to that theme. Exactly. And in order for a movie to have a really strong resonant theme, it really has to play out much more. And the side characters are usually so useful for that because then you have them butting heads And really conflicting in their values and philosophies and not being able to see eye to eye or trying to convince each other that there are other ways to live. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that you can do in the interactions between characters in bringing in different points of view and, and different takes on a theme. And we really love the progressive tension that Toy Story movies can have with Woody and Buzz and Jesse and some of the other characters, except for the Mr. Potato Head who sucks the progressive tension that they have where they want different things that are also reasonable, which puts them at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I also felt when we finished the movie that the theme was very light and I still love the movie. We obviously, we talked for so long about all the things Mm -hmm. we enjoyed. So I, I don't necessarily think that's a negative, but I was a little bit surprised, especially because of Toy Story 1, which seems to have a much stronger theme throughout the whole movie. You know, when we started recording, I wasn't sure what I thought the theme of this movie was because of this tension. And I had an idea floating around and then wasn't sure what to make of it. And I think in what we were just talking about, about what happens on screen versus off screen, I feel better about one of the themes I was thinking about. And that is that this movie is really about the importance of adult friends, especially when going through major life events. And the reason I say that is because we've always talked about how the relationship between the toys and Andy is the same relationship between parents and a child. They often refer to Andy as their kid. They watch him grow up. They want him to be able to rely on them. They struggle to let him go when he's ready to go to college. All of that is based on this relationship. And Andy going to college and them having to let go of him is something happening in this movie. And it is the most serious thing happening in this movie. Despite all the stakes, that is where the movie starts and finishes. But the majority of the movie is about these toy-to-toy 
relationships and connections, sometimes in romance, sometimes in helping someone, making sure they're okay, and often in going back for someone, saving them, making sure that you can help them, not leaving someone behind. I think the reason this resonates is because the first movie says it's okay to get caught up in your child. You will be fundamentally different with a child, and that doesn't mean that you're a failure. And I think that this movie turns that back around a little bit. It says even though a kid is really important, they are not your whole life. Mm -hmm. Because you have all these other relationships, and these other relationships are the people that you end up spending more time with, more honest, emotional interaction with. Yeah, Andy doesn't even truly know who the toys are. Exactly. He doesn't even know that they're sentient. It is, this is maybe overstating it, but an incredible lie on which their entire relationship is based on. For this movie to instead be about the relationship between Woody and the other toys, especially because Woody has the option of going off with Andy to college. Mm -hmm. Woody has the option of saying, no, the child is the person in my life who's the most important. And then saying, no, I can actually let that child go and I would rather be with my friends. I think that is a through line, at least through the movie. Yeah, I I really agree with that. I was thinking about how it seems like part of what the movie is saying is that it's not selfish for you to understand that there are other relationships that you need to care for and that can bring you fulfillment and joy. And that you care for your kid and you do what you can and you take them to a point where they're able to go off into the world and support and care for themselves. And it's not selfish to then prioritize yourself and other relationships in your life. The toys keep saying that the thing that is most important for them is that they will be there for Andy if he needs. And they say that over and over. It's the whole reason they're trying to get back to him. It's the reason why Jesse's okay going into the attic. Because if he ever needs them, they'll be there for him. And for a while, I thought that's something the movie was really seriously trying to say. But at the end, the toys leave Andy right? They won't mm -hmm. be there for him. He gives them this final gift and they give him this final gift of knowing that they will always be loved, but they will no longer be Andy's toys, Yeah, no matter what's on the bottom of their shoe. And it turns out that they don't need to always be there for Andy, that they won't be there when he needs them, but that's okay because what they really need, what the toys really need because it's not really about Andy. Toy Story, the whole franchise, is about the toys. And what the toys really need is to be together. And that that is the community they have and how they support each other and how they understand what's going on around them. And this is the core relationship between Woody and Buzz. It's the romantic relationships, including Jesse. It's even the tag-along that no one likes in Mr. Potato Head. And I think that this, if I remember correctly... This is further explored in Toy Story 4 with Bo Peep's reemergence. I will say that I, I don't like that they just wrote her out of the movie with one brief line of exposition. They were just like, oh, and Bo Peep's gone anyway. <laughs> but I am excited for her to come back in Toy Story 4. 
I'm curious if they knew that she would come back when they did that. I feel like they didn't. And I I feel like people got mad and were like, excuse me, Bo Peep is just gone. And then they were like, never mind, never mind. Okay, that's that's what I got as a theme. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I think that there are things about it that contradict a little bit the first movie and maybe even the entire premise of having movies about toys. (laughs) And like, toys are alive and they love you too. And if the way that this trilogy ends is like, the toys do love you, but really they love each other. And you are just kind of the vehicle for which their relationships can exist. That's... I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I think both can be true. Am I taking this too seriously? No, that's the whole point of our podcast is to take it seriously. Good. But I I think you're right. And I I think that's really true. And I think that maybe... This, this movie does have more thematic resonance than we were initially giving it credit for. And even if the themes were only okay, because the rest of the movie is so good from a stake standpoint, from a pacing standpoint, I from think it is- From a character standpoint. It's pitch perfect on mm-hmm. all of it. It is just a really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I enjoyed this one. Me too. All right. So that is Toy Story 3. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Cars 2. Oh my gosh. I am so looking forward to this. Yeah. Tay has weird expectations on Cars 2, and I don't understand why. I just saw Cars 2 like four times for some reason. I don't know why. Just I felt like it was always on in my childhood, and I, it just... I feel like if we hate Wally but love Cars 2, this is an illegitimate Pixar podcast. It doesn't count. <laughs> Anyway, we'll see next time. Thank you for joining us. Remember to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Please tell a friend about us. Help us grow the crowd. We love it. We love that you guys are out there. Shout outs. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us. Goodbye. Goodbye.